0: Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, joined by my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, alas, we've had to put your birthday celebration month aside. We are out of April and into May. I hope your ego is all right. You know, do you need me to wish you any belated birthday wishes, need any more gifts to lift your spirits
1: I would love for you to buy me a lot of stuff. Hmm.
0: Well, we can maybe work on that off air. We can figure out what you kind of what you need to need me to buy you. But <laughs> for the time being, we are now kicking off a brand new blend of the month. If you listened to our episode last week, you know that we are excited, or at least I am very excited, to kick off the age of Cage here in May of 2022. That's right. It's Nicolas Cage, or I guess we're calling this The Greatest Hits of Nicolas Cage, looking at three of his most beloved movies here in May in recognition of the release of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Christian, did you get a chance to see his latest movie? I did, yes, I have. Okay, then in brief, would love to know your thoughts. I I did see this as well with friend of the show, Paul Yoder. And it's, of course, the inspiration for this Blend of the Month as we're looking at Nicolas Cage and some of his movies. So, I'm curious to know what you thought about the unbearable weight of massive talent. Mostly because, to my opinion, because I know you love a good story, you love a good, well done plot. And this is a movie that... Plot is not its strength, but I found it to be very funny regardless. So I'm curious what you think about Unbearable Weight of Massive
1: Talent. It is such a good time. It was such a good time to be in the theaters with this. And uh, man, I forgot how much I love Pedro Pascal. It's been a (laughs) while since I've seen him. Did you, did I, did I tell you who I want to be when I grow up? Were you able to catch that? Um, I, I don't
0: know Christian. I, I normally assume some kind of cross between Christian Bale and Michael Keaton as a
1: writer, but what what about Chris uh, what about sorry, what about Pedro Pascal? No, so I when I grow up I want to be a combination of Pedro Pascal and Tom Hardy. I've realized <laughs> that when you go into the milkshake of my life, I want those to be the two ingredients. Interesting. (laughs) I would enjoy
0: unpacking that, Christian. But alas, this podcast (laughs) is not about Pedro Pascal or Tom Hardy. It's about Nicolas Cage, who I found to be stupendous in unbearable weight of massive talent. Truly hilarious. And I love the way that he's willing to put himself on the line uh, at the expense of the joke. You know, being able to laugh at himself, his career, and do it all on the big screen. I really hope it's a success. I thought it was a funny movie as well. But we're, of course, now looking back on his career because Nick Cage has been making movies since the 80s. He has been around for almost 40 years at this point. His first real leading role was in Valley Girl, which was released in 1983. So he has been acting in films, actually, yeah, for 40 years because his first debut performance was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High where he played a minor character. So obviously we have all kinds of movies to draw on different phases of his career so christian the first thing i want to ask you is as, as i always ask in these kinds of setups you know what's your connection to nicholas cage is he someone you know and love or have you just seen national treasure and you aren't really exposed to him
1: beyond the memes what are your thoughts on the guy there's uh what was it do you know the movie where he i don't i think he meets like an angel and is forced to he's like a business executive and he's forced to Imagine what his life would be like if he didn't take the exec position and instead got a wife and kids.
0: Oh, I I have not seen this movie, but I know
1: what you're describing. Is it, isn't it called, like, The Family Man or something like that? I mean, maybe. I ha, I. It was one of those late night movies on ABC Family or something along those lines. I'm trying to track down his filmography here. No, I, I feel like outside of National... I think I saw National... No, wait. I saw National Treasure because National Treasure Two was coming out in theaters. I remember. I I have been for the man. I have been someone who thinks Pro that he Nicholas has. Cage. I have been someone, believe it or not, who thinks that he has a lot of talent, but is being misused by directors. And I think growing up, despite having seen like three movies, four movies with him in it, that's what I thought. I'm like, this guy has a good voice. This guy has good charisma. This guy is taking this character in a specific way, but also these movies were not using him the way I thought the movies should be using him.
0: Interesting. He he certainly has an interesting persona, and he's had so many different phases of his career that I'm interested to see how that opinion holds up based on the movies that we watch, looking at the different time periods and that he was acting, the different types of roles he was playing. And especially recently, he's been in a lot of direct-to-video, direct-to-DVD, direct-to-Redbox, or streaming movies, which pretty much infamously, we know that he was taking as many jobs as he could to pay off some of the debts he had accrued with his wild, lavish spending, which is definitely worth a Wikipedia search, and they make fun of it in the unbearable weight of massive talent. So,
1: definitely back not like he ever went anywhere
0: exactly and and yet that's something i admire about him he has managed to remain a household name and to remain in big budget hollywood movies despite his career dips and downturns whether it was taking roles in movies like spider-man into the spider-verse and doing voiceover work or something like pig which was a obviously a huge success last year which people truly truly loved and became passionate about not Uh, the least in part uh, which was due to his performance and how clearly he's very very he's it's very good pig his performance is very right he is clearly a very very talented actor and despite the fact that he loves to go over the top loves to play crazy characters he can still pull off a quiet subdued performance like that so he is just one of the most interesting actors that we have in hollywood right now and even though so many of his recent movies have not really been worth watching outside of watching maybe to laugh at or <laughs> to drink with friends and watch he's someone who has had a fascinating career and i'm really excited to talk about it so of course this week we are going to be looking at one of his early starring roles one that certainly put him on the track record to success and had the benefit of being made with some of the most well-known and beloved directors in the (laughs) film world, those being the Coen brothers, of course, because we're looking at Raising Arizona today. His 1987 movie, co-starring Holly Hunter, hits both of these groups of people at interesting points in their career. And we do have Nicolas Cage on the rise, of course. He has been in small movies building up. He's changed his name to avoid associations with his uncle, who is, of course, Francis Ford Coppola, who was a multi-time best picture winning filmmaker by the time Cage is getting into acting. And of course, the Coens have had a successful debut with their movie Blood Simple. They're looking to... Keep the ball rolling. Keep the train moving. And these these two uh, wonderful groups here, I, I guess I should say, uh, it's hard to say these two. These three wonderful people here <laughs> meet together and make Raising Arizona. So, Christian, we talked about Cage and your connection to him. Do you have any connection to the Coen brothers? Any familiarity
1: with them or their movies? There's one Coen brothers movie I love. There's one I really like. And there's one that I like. And all the other Coen Brothers movies I have seen, I think, are fine. (laughs) Now, or 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 I dislike. I it's it they. I don't know. I feel like the Coen Brothers are directors who are so gifted, except in creating characters that I care about. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) What I oh man, that's fascinating because they are perhaps most gifted at creating characters and. and, and that's the popular I opinion about that. I do not them.
1: care about Marge and Fargo. I love <laughs> Francis McDormand. Do not care about Marge. Or, oh, man. They, because they, I don't know, they jump into the world without explanation. And that's like what you're taught to do as a screenwriter. But I, I, I feel as though they're too, in they, they present themselves as too intelligent. And so I end up just not liking the movie as opposed to respecting the intelligence. Interesting. I,
0: I I guess I have a very different opinion because I, while I don't deeply love every single movie of theirs and haven't seen all of them, there are a great number of them that I do cherish. And Inside Lou and Davis is a movie we discussed briefly on this podcast way back in the day. It might have been our first episode. Honestly, it was a streaming I think recommendations it was our first episode. episode. Yeah uh something like oh brother where art thou their best picture winning no country for old men which i know you and i have disagreed on in terms of our affections for that movie but they do tend to be filmmakers that i really like especially for their characters so (laughs) i'm very curious to see how you feel about raising arizona then because i do think it there's a lot going on in this movie but it can be made or broken with those characters so a couple details on the movie before we get into our review. Of course, this is a 1987 movie. As we mentioned, it was a box office success. It was made on a smaller budget, mid-level budget, about five and a half million dollars, and returned over 29 million at the global box office. It played out of competition at the Cannes Film Festival, so that was a big win for the Coen Brothers. But it had a mixed reception when it was released. A lot of critics praised it for its originality. People really admired the humor. And of course, some critics fell on the opposite side and they said it was sort of humor that was outpacing the filmmaking didn't totally work for them the blend of fantasy and reality didn't work for them and audiences gave this movie a b from the cinema score which if you know anything about cinema score anything lower than a minus really means that audiences did not understand or disliked your movie people then tend to grade on a curve and very few movies score lower than an A minus b plus so Obviously, a movie that has its fans and has become a cult classic, but also has its critics. And so, Christian, I'm going to read you a couple quotes because I think they accurately capture the two sides of this debate. And I'm curious to see which one you land on. So Simon Pegg. An actor many people love. I'm sure you Simon know Simon Pegg. Shout out Simon Pegg. He, uh, it might've been on a panel with Edgar Wright, who thinks this is, or considers this one of his favorite films, but Simon Pegg described it as a live action Looney Tunes, or Looney Tunes come to life. I'm, I'm not sure of his specific wording, but that is why he loved this movie, describing the humor and the whole concept in the scenario, plus, you know, the characters at the center of it. But Roger Ebert, of course, one of the most famous film critics we still have, although he has passed on a few years ago. Gave it a negative review at the time and described it as a film shot down by its own forced and mannered style. So, Christian, before we get your take on the movie as a whole, with those two quotes in mind, I do want to get your opinion on one of the major elements of this movie, which is that blend of fantasy and reality. I'm I'm curious, just off, off the jump as we, you know, get into this review here. Does Raising Arizona reach the heights of a live-action Looney Tunes episode? Or is it more hampered by its attempts at wacky
1: humor? I was really trying to like this movie. <laughs> and I think that says everything you need to know because it is trying. This movie is trying. And I'm like cool you know you're trying to 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 be funny and, and, and to show a goofy side of everything and to make nicolas cage as as someone put it be just a wily coyote and to make Holly hunter be a, a mad dog woman but there uh, the 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 humor outpaced the humanity for me and so it felt as though the 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 heart at the center of this movie and and the the really cool directing. I mean, honestly, the car chasing scenes in this movie are really cool to look at. Incredibly well done. But it feels as though they're running parallel to each other, not in unison. So it it it's better than an average movie. It's better than a fifty percent movie. But I, I couldn't get into it. And and I will also say, though, Holly Hunter and Nicolas Cage are impeccable here.
0: Yes, I'm glad to have picked a Nicolas Cage movie where you at least enjoyed his performance to kick off this month, because obviously he can be divisive as an actor. But I think, although I might, it sounds like I might disagree in some small ways, Christian, that I think you have a a pretty measured thought here. And I figured this episode might start with you saying something like, I really tried to like this movie because... After watching it myself, I wasn't sure what your opinion would be as I've gotten familiar with your taste. So I do want to start with... A couple areas where it sounds like you did get on board with Raising Arizona and you did like it. So, let's start with Cage. Let's start with Holly Hunter. Obviously, the two people at the center of this movie. We haven't even mentioned the characters or the setup for this movie, in case our listeners missed it. So, Nick Cage plays High McDonough, and Holly Hunter plays Edwina, or Ed McDonough. They are a married couple who meet, of course, when High is going to jail, and she is the police officer taking his mugshot, and they get married after he's released from prison and they decide but, after finding but, out they but are not
1: the first time they get married after he's been released from prison like the third or fourth time
0: ah uh, yes of course <laughs> uh and they discover while trying to start a family that they are incapable of having children naturally and they are not allowed to adopt because of his criminal record and his repeat offenses so they do what any of us would do they decide to take one of the babies born from <laughs> the wealthy Arizona family who have recently had quintuplets thinking that they've got more than they can handle. we'll we'll just have one for our own. And I really am, am glad that you enjoyed these two performances because I think Cage and Hunter both find a, a good happy medium walking this line between the heightened comedy that the Coens are often going for while still bringing a lot of genuine emotion and and recognizable to the human experience uh, heart to this movie where even when this movie is going wild there's wacky action sequences going on you can still connect with these two people and I'm glad that you connected with their performances uh, was there anything about Cage in particular since of course this is his month here on the Budget podcast any particular standout moments for you or through lines that he had in the performance that you picked up on?
1: Okay, so this goes back into your, your question regarding the combination of fantasy versus reality. I really enjoyed the dream sequences, which made me realize I very much liked his voiceover narration. He is, yes, he is playing this, I, I, I don't know, this sage at, at times, this like wise individual, which is hilarious. Because that's how he's, like, comporting himself. And yet, this is a man who's been to prison multiple times, is stealing a quintuplet to raise. And, and yet, he's like, I had a dream. And in the future, me and my wife, we were surrounded by this family. And I go, what are you saying? <laughs> what are you on? And, and just, like, the confidence. Because this is a very measured Nicolas Cage performance. It's wacky. But it's not crazy the way that he can be crazy. He's not screaming. He's not yelling. He's not doing weird stuff with his arms. He's doing weird stuff with his hair. That is true. Honest. Big <laughs> fan of the hair. Big fan of his hair in this movie. But this, oh, this, this... I think he's playing a bad boy. He thinks he's like a bad boy heartthrob kind of a thing. And it's really working. Like, I as as the guy that got holly hunter this police officer to fall for him i
0: buy it i i totally agree he's got this charm to him that so many of his early performances hinge on because he'll bring this (laughs) high energy hectic personality to these characters but he's also got this undeniable wink and charm to him that you can't resist and he, you can understand how he gets poor Ed to fall for him because, of course, although she only knows him from taking these mugshots, he lets her know that he'll really stand up for her. And this, because she's crying because she's had a fiance leave her, and so he's saying he's gonna, he would tell that guy he'd beat up that guy for leaving her because she's such a good woman blah 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 and he's making this impassioned speech to her after only knowing her in these interactions where he's the prisoner having his photo taken and you totally buy into the fact that she'd fall for this guy because he's just so lovable and uh, like you said Although the movie sometimes goes crazy around him, he never really goes through the roof where he could sometimes limit later movies that he would be in because he would just totally blow his top off. But even when this movie is at his craziest, he is playing a very consistent, lovable character.
1: Very, very subdued. Well, not subdued, just normal.
0: Right. Right. And I love too the the that you mentioned voiceover. There's a lot of voiceover in this movie, which I had forgotten. I, I've only seen I'm parts a of it. Fan of that. Yeah, hadn't hadn't seen it in full. But the movie begins and ends with long bouts of his narration, and I actually really love the beginning of this movie because the Coens are, I would say, quickly, but it's probably ten minutes or so early on in the movie of a ninety-minute movie. So not super quick, but catching us up to speed basically on how these two get together and why they decide to try to kidnap a baby and Cage is narrating so much of these segments we're seeing him going to prison robbing convenience stores going back to prison falling in love with Edwina moving out and all of these life events are happening while he's narrating us through and it's great filmmaking because they know there's a good editing pace there's a lot of synchronicity if I can say that with some of these sequences where we see the ways that He goes into prison, out of prison, sees the same guys, and even when he's out of prison, meets people who remind him of prison. Uh, It's this really well put together montage, but it's all held together by this voiceover narration from Cage. And sometimes narration is a crutch, and it's kind of lazy for writers and filmmakers to use it, but I think it totally
1: works here. Which also, I I mean, I, I can't not talk about her. Holly Hunter is matching him B by B and she Kind of like the ferocity, he's very laid back in this movie and she's very intense and in your face and showing just a stark contrast in terms of presence. But overwhelmingly, in every single scene she's in, you know, she goes in and the camera knows to go to her and to what she is going to do. And she has to say, because when Holly Hunter speaks, you listen, (laughs) which which is is. I mean, I th- I think a through-lines through several of the movies that I've seen her in, I haven't seen a ton, but even in the movie that probably everyone has seen, The Incredibles, when she's Elastigirl and she speaks, it's over everyone else in the room.
0: Yeah, she's she's got a pretty iconic voice, very unique to her. Nobody in Hollywood really has her specific voice, and like you said, she can be very authoritative in this movie, knows when and how to assert herself, and I noticed early on too that the Coens called for her to have a lot of, I guess, breakdowns where Ed is weeping and not quite screaming, but is sad and heightened as she's realizing the reality of her situation, whether it's being infertile and not being able to have a baby or having this fiance who left her at the altar. She is crying a lot early on, but it doesn't feel very exploitative of her as a female character and trying to use those female emotions while limiting her and her own development and growth. She brings a, a again, just like Cage, is very warm and human human heart to the character. And we buy these two falling in love. We buy her love for this recently kidnapped child. We, we just see the, the genuine love that she has for this baby in her eyes, even though she's not known him more than a day. And that's what Hunter brings to this movie. While still
1: while still falling in with the comedy that the Coens are often going for. So that's where I'm not sure if I buy it. And that's where my main issue with this movie was. Because for a couple who is so desperate to have children, they're going to steal one of a family's quintuplets. You don't get too many scenes of, what's his name, Noah Jr.? Well, i don't nathan jr nathan the jr. uh
0: the person they kidnapped the baby from is nathan arizona who is <laughs> an unpainted furniture magnate in <laughs> their their section of arizona and one baby is nathan jr the rest of them have other names and they of course
1: kidnap nathan jr which they don't spend a lot of time with the baby they don't spend a lot of time talking about how they want a baby they don't spend a lot of time looking at the baby and that's I, there's this like infatuation with this child, but no one's no one's like character development about the kid is focused on in my mind. And that's my main issue. And we can talk about the fantasy and uh, versus reality and the dream sequences and the the biker who who I don't even really know what the biker's trying to do. He's uh, he's trying to get the kid for money reasons. I'm I, I, the, the baby's family doesn't want him. <laughs> Really, the, like the dad doesn't care. the The dad's offering uh, the twenty five thousand dollars reward, but the dad at no point shows he cares about the baby, just not losing the twenty five thousand dollars.
0: I think that's I. I don't know if I agree there, and I even if I, if I did, I would actually think that's a strength of the movie.
1: And and well, there's there's no there are no parental themes or sequences here outside them stating that they want to be parents. I don't see it. And this baby to me was not worth the trouble. Well, in a way, I, I do disagree with you there.
0: Like I was saying about what I enjoyed about Hunter's performance, I think she brings a lot of, you know, a, a maternal love to this baby that she has quite literally kidnapped. And we see that in her performance, even if it's not outright stated by the Coens in their writing. And of course, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with the direction this movie takes because it's really more of a crime comedy, as there are other characters who of course we haven't gotten to mention yet but it's not just these two steal the baby and try to evade law enforcement or something like that but we also have criminal buddies of High's breaking out of prison and getting involved trying to get him on in on a heist we have High's boss at the machine shop or factory wherever he works High's boss and his family comes over and There's tension between High and his boss, and of course, Nathan Arizona has this side deal going on where he's trying to get the baby back, and this biker that you mentioned is a bounty hunter who then inserts himself into the picture trying to win the reward. So there is a lot swirling around, and for a relatively quick movie, of course, just over 90 minutes, I don't think we needed to see too much more than what they gave us about how much these two people want to start a family together. That's what I found to be a strength of the opening, where they're quickly informing us on who these people are, what drives them, and what they want, which of course is they want to be married, they want to have a family, but they can't. And so, because this movie is a comedy, they do something ridiculous <laughs> to start a family. And it's fine to dislike the general concept, but I don't think it's lacking in anything in terms of explaining these
1: people's desires. But the, the thing is that those desires kind of break away, and what... Hi, well, what uh, Ed actually wants from Hi, what Holly actually wants from Nick is a strong relationship and not him reverting back to his old ways, like taking a gun to uh, a, a gas station market in order to steal some diapers. She gets pissed and th- this this baby is like a plot device in order for them to to examine what it is that their marriage actually should be. And the strength is their relationship. And this baby took away from me looking at their relationship. I don't think it actually unlocked the marriage for me.
0: Well, that's again, I I find that confusing because one of the major themes here, of course, is marriage and family. And we see the, the different tensions that these two feel. And there is a scene where we can start talking a little more in depth about this, where High's boss does come over. And the boss is played by Sam McMurray, who I was trying to figure out how I recognized him. And he plays Chandler Bing's boss in Friends, the one who constantly slaps him on the butt. (laughs) Yes.
1: Love it. (laughs) He is
0: really funny. He's a really funny actor. He's really funny in this movie. And his wife is uh, played by Frances McDormand, who... Who's wonderful. Yeah. A small role here, but she's married to, I believe, Joel Cohen. And (laughs) she's been in essentially all of their movies. So they are in a small scene here, but we see the ways that McDormand's character starts kind of putting all these maternal pressures on Ed. Oh, did you get the baby a pediatrician? Have you gotten him his vaccinations? Oh, what are you guys gonna do with a college fund? Are you saving money? Asking all these questions. And they have a large family, of course, and not only a large family, but kids who are going around writing w- w- words on the walls of Ed and High's home, who are destroying some of their stuff, who are generally making a mess. And we see the ways that Ed is leaning into this life. She wants to take care of the baby. She wants to make sure that he has a good life going forward. And High is very stressed (laughs) because (laughs) he sees these five children running around destroying his home. And he thinks, is this my future? He doesn't get along with his boss. And his boss even presents him with, (laughs) let's just say, an undesirable arrangement between their two couples. And it causes even more tension between High and him. And I think that draws on the journey that Hi goes on in this movie. As we see him, of course, fall in love with Edwina, have this desire to start a family. But that's not just an unchecked desire in almost everybody's life. That's a desire that gets tested. And of course, his test is running into criminal buddies and <laughs> trying to kidnap a baby and keep it safe. But that's a test that everybody goes through if they decide to get married and go through life And a couple, they have their their desires tested to be a good spouse, to be a parent if they want to be a parent to be a good parent if they want to be a parent. And that journey of maturity that High goes on, I actually was really compelled by. And I I love that Cage is able to connect with the different emotional beats that that required, whether it was sort of manic action energy in some of these uh, more of the heightened sequences on the crime side of this movie, or connecting with Holly Hunter and some of the lower, more emotional
1: beats the story takes. I, 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 I guess... I don't know, I just don't see it because I can understand someone liking liking this movie because of the the directing or the stunts and, and there's there's some really cool scenes and set pieces and action and and car chasing and, and dream sequences. But if at the center of this movie it is the plot of stealing this baby and it revealing different things and them matching each other on energy and what they want out of each other's lives and and the two robbers the or prisoners who escape from prison and, and see this baby and also develop a relationship with this baby this there's a lot hinging on this baby that I I'm, I'm not buying. I'm not. I'm not buying the premise of this movie, and me not buying the premise of this movie because I don't think there's enough humanity with the baby. Even though there is a good chunk of humanity in their performances, it, it, it's not. I don't think it's working. I think it's trying, which is why I'm giving it a bit of a pass. But I don't think it's working the way that it wants to work.
0: I think you might be lending a little too much credence to Nathan Junior <laughs> as a character. The movie's but... called
1: Raising Arizona. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but it's not about actually raising this baby because, of course, the way it resolves, which we won't spoil here, we want you to go watch it, but the way it resolves, Nathan Jr. is still a baby, so it's not actually about raising this child. It's about High and Ed.
1: Well, yes, but I don't think that's what the premise of the movie sets out to do. I think the premise of the movie actually does set out to deal with child and 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 that child specifically.
0: I do think this is, uh, there's a whole nother, you could write essays on this aspect of the movie. I do think there's some interesting, I I guess, I don't know if I want to say commentary because that's sort of a cheesy word, but I think there's more layers to this movie than just as a comedy, especially when you consider, of course, there's there's a lot of, Uh, themes of class at play, which it's done in a way where it's obviously this movie is still a comedy on its surface. You can laugh your way to the bank and and enjoy it. But if you're looking for these kinds of things, I think you could also enjoy that aspect of it too, where, of course, High is dealing with recidivism. He's going back to prison to provide for himself. And when he gets out and wants to move on with his life, he can't because of some of the factors at play there. Of course, Nathan Arizona and his family are very wealthy and they end up with quintuplets. And I think that metaphor is pretty clear (laughs) where the guy with everything gets five babies and the guy with nothing gets none um and and i think there's there's aspects to that side of the movie too that that were interesting did you pick up on anything there that that you found enjoyable
1: or at least interesting to think about while you were watching the movie it's partly like it's partly a heist movie so i think that you you can do a lot with you can show this movie to a lot of people and they're going to find something to like yeah, absolutely, and, and
0: again, there's a lot of comedy in this movie, and comedy is so subjective, and there are movies like Liar Liar, where you and me didn't really buy into the premise of the movie yeah. that much yeah, but there are people the who love that movie and who love jim carrey there are rom-coms like my best friend's wedding where i just could not suspend my disbelief and you were completely on board with it <laughs> raising arizona is similar in that way where some of the more manic looney tunes energy that it brings which we've we've really barely gotten a chance to dive into that aspect of the movie but if you get on the same wavelength with it you'll completely vibe with it and i know a lot of yeah. At least some critics who consider this to be one of their favorite Coen brothers movies. Although it doesn't come close to the top of my list.
1: I, I can, I can see that. Like, I'm not mad at that, but I think that there's an element of this movie that they wanted to unlock that. I couldn't. And, and, and just, uh, I mean, I think, you know, this. my favorite Coen brothers movie by far is inside the wind Davis. It's like there, that's a movie full of heart and humanity. So I think that they they're definitely talented in what they're doing I just uh, sometimes find that they they lose me and they lose the character.
0: Well, that is fair, Christian. I, I don't really, I, I can't hold that against you. Not everybody, of course, is an avowed fan of the Coens. And even myself, I'm a fan, but I'm not really a devotee like some people are. So I wanted to mention a few stray bullet-pointed thoughts here. Just feel free to chime in if you want. But... This movie was shot by Barry Sonnenfeld, who of course would go on to be a director of such films as Men in Black, which we covered on the show last month as part of your 1997 blend of the month. He was an early collaborator of the Coens, and I thought that was fun. I think he brings a lot to this movie. There's some really fun um, point of view shots, especially uh, during the scene where High is actually kidnapping Nathan Jr. There's some point of view shots from the babies, which I thought were really funny and really well done. Uh, There's... Uh, an incredible action sequence kind of in the middle of this movie where hi is trying to steal diapers from a convenience store which you mentioned and not only does the clerk pull a gun on him <laughs> and the police get involved but Ed leaves him, and he has to try to make a break for it, which includes him jumping into some dude's car, getting him to drive, running through a neighborhood, moving through a home with the police chasing him, and even going into a grocery store to steal more diapers. <laughs> it's just just an incredible action sequence in the middle of this wacky crime comedy. I was I was honestly blown away by it from just a filmmaking perspective. Any scenes that stood out to you that you wanted to quickly mention?
1: Also, like the shootout, between between him and holly hunter that 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 was great when she just like takes the baby from him
0: oh my gosh why am i forgetting this part of the movie
1: <laughs> it, it, it's right before like he follows nick cage into the small alley it's right before that holly hunter goes up to him with the gun shoots and takes the baby from him
0: oh right 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 like near the end of the movie you mean yes yeah yeah there's a confrontation with this bike riding bounty hunter, and again, another great action scene there. Um, and I'm trying to think any any final thoughts for Racing Arizona. This movie did place number 31 on the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Laughs list, so obviously well loved nowadays. But uh, John Goodman, we should mention, plays one of these these criminal brothers, and he is quite funny. He's a often a frequent collaborator of the Coen Brothers, and he is uh, his brother within the movie is played by william forsyth so shout out to them as well christian any final thoughts on raising arizona
1: as of right now no
0: so raising arizona recommended by me maybe recommended by christian a soft check it out if you want there's something something there to like there's something there to like And it is available to stream on Hoopla if you have Hoopla through your local library. And, of course, rentable pretty much wherever you get your movies. Next week, as our Nicolas Cage Greatest Hits continue, of course, this man has won an Oscar. And so we will follow his career into the 90s as he enters one of his eras of peak movie stardom. And he wins an Oscar for a movie called Leaving Las Vegas, which is not a movie that I have seen. And I'm looking forward to watching it. It is available to stream on Canopy, which is another streaming service you can access through your local library. And it is also rentable a variety of places if you want to go that route. A few bits of housekeeping here before we wrap up the episode, Christian. But, of course, we are running a contest right now. That contest was tied in with our 1997 blend of the month. And we were offering you a free trip at the movies if you entered the contest and won we gave three hints on each of the main review episodes from last month that all built towards the name of a movie and wanted to shout out our guy paul gonzalez once again paul submitted his guess first and so we were certainly keeping an eye on that but alas paul you were incorrect so sorry about that paul i want to say it was a good guess based on the clues that we gave his guess was alien resurrection which is a 97 movie, of course, that did befit some of the hints that we gave, but it was not the one that we were going for. So sorry, Paul, but we are still waiting on a correct answer. So we're going to extend the contest a little bit. We just want to gift you, listeners. We want to sponsor your trip to Cinemark or AMC or Regal or wherever you're going to see your movie. Reminder to submit the name of the movie after getting those three hints from the episodes, and you will get a trip to the movies on Christian and myself. Christian, any? Uh, you want to refresh the folks on one of the clues, maybe? If you want to be want to be generous and give an a clue a second play here,
1: since we have nothing for this episode. The one of the I'll give one. One of the actors is a notable sitcom star. Ah, yes, one of the actors,
0: a notable sitcom star, and maybe, just maybe, they were in that sitcom around the time of the year 1997. So, yes, please do check out those hints and submit your guesses. We're still looking for that correct answer. We're extending the contest one more week. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. Obviously, if you are here, you're still listening. Thank you so much for listening along to the show. We obviously love watching these movies and discussing them and sharing those discussions with you listeners, so thanks for your support. There are a few things that you can do to support the podcast. Number one, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if applicable, leave us a rating and a review. It warms our hearts. We need the affirmation. Five-star reviews help me sleep easy at night, so do please subscribe, rate, and review if you can. You can also send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Of course, if you're looking to win a free trip to the movies, you should submit your guess to that email. But we're looking for your feedback. We want to be talking about movies that you want to hear about, covering topics that you are interested in. So please do send your thoughts. We have incorporated listener feedback into the show. Paul Gonzalez, who we mentioned, literally appeared on an episode because he had suggested Magic May one year ago, which it's crazy that Magic May was 2021 and now we're in May 2022. But we did cover an idea that Paul suggested and would love to know your thoughts on future blends of the month or at least movies you'd like us to discuss. And we can figure out the blend from there. So... Send your thoughts to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, as well as Christian on Instagram, and you can follow the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? No. No thoughts from Christian, folks. Don't kidnap any babies, and until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.